Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Lord Mayor, Keith Topolsky. Yes, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you are across this big brown world of ours, and welcome to episode four of Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming live on triplehfm.com.au, and you can get us on podcasts.com. Make sure you subscribe and sign up at podcasts.com to hear Splinters as soon as it is released, whenever we upload on a Tuesday. Usually, my name is Keith Topolsky. I am the Lord Mayor of Leichhardt, apparently. Unfortunately, I prefer the Campbelltown Councillor or whatever name that Tony or Mirzy decide to bestow upon me. I do know that Mirzy was acting up last week on the Formula One podcast, so I'll have a couple of words with him during the week. But I can also talk about the person who allowed Mirzy off the leash last week, and I do speak of the godfather of the bench, the raging bull, Anthony Caruso. I would ask you how you're doing this evening, Anthony, but I need to know why you allowed Mirzy to be such an insubordinate little brat. Well, first off, can I say uh, thank you very much for having me on, uh, Keith, and uh, good evening, good morning, good afternoon to everyone that's listening into this. Look, Matt Mears, he's a, he's a man who you need to allow his his ego to be stroked once in a while, because otherwise he just sort of, get, it sort of gets all mopey and whatnot. So you have to do that just to let him feel special. And, you know, Formula One being one of his pet subjects that's not cricket, he's, he's actually quite good at it. So I thought, you know, I, I thought it would be safe to sort of do that. I wasn't expecting some of the uh, the shots that he fired off at yourself because we all know that that you yourself calling yourself the Lord Mayor of uh, Leichhardt or wherever it's a long way from where you actually live which is the funny part so we'll we'll have a few words with Mizzy during the week and take some disciplinary measures against him but be so that maybe, as he has to sit, maybe, maybe he has to sit in the box of Tony well, well we'll give him we'll give him a game misconduct how about that ah speaking so of game misconduct well no, I don't know whether it's a minor penalty. you got to give him at least a five-minute major. Five-minute major, I like that. All right, we'll settle on the five-minute major for Mirzi. Maybe even go to a game misconduct, maybe even some supplemental discipline. For those of you who do know those terms, yes, we are talking all things National Hockey League this week on Splinters, the Bench Podcast. And I want to start off, Bull, with what is effectively the coaching carousel. Last season, we had no coaches sacked during the regular season. The only sacking outside the season proper came the first day after the New York Rangers were eliminated. They got rid of Elaine Vigneault. But so far this season, the Los Angeles Kings, the St. Louis Blues, Chicago Blackhawks, Edmonton Oilers have all said goodbye to their coaches and look to install new benchminders. Chicago is the only team that said that their new guy is going to be permanent. Do you think there's any significance in this coming from the Western Division, or is it just a is it just a bit of a freak of nature? Well, first off, I think it needs to be stated that I think the the change around in the Chicago Blackhawks to a certain extent is probably long overdue. They have been one of the benchmarks of the competition for years. They're not having the best of years this year, so. I could sort of understand with Joel um, Quenneville finally being let go there. But the other ones, I I think Edmonton is probably, I think it's probably uh, fired off way too early. They're not that far off from the the playoffs at the moment. The LA Kings, well, it's a similar thing, I think, with Chicago. They... They'd been one of the form teams for ages, and it was about time they started having a one or two seasons where they were off the um, off the form. And St. Louis, well, that, that, that team's just been yo-yoing like you wouldn't believe for years. 
Well, they do have a bad habit of getting to the playoffs and getting bailed up early. I did do some pre-season predictions, which we could have done on Splinters as our debut episode, but unfortunately we had technical issues. But I did predict the LA Kings to miss the cut in the playoffs this year, simply because they are getting so old. So LA struggling doesn't surprise me. As you say, Chicago on the downward run doesn't surprise us. They've got their three cups. They are a modern-day dynasty in the salary cap era, which is incredibly difficult to manage. So that's not unusual and wasn't entirely unexpected. I didn't have them making the playoffs either, but you're right. St. Louis and Edmonton, I mean, Edmonton, they have Connor McDavid, they have Leon Dreisaitl. How is this team not a playoff team? You know, let's go to the let's go to the, the stats at the moment. And the, the problem they've got at this stage has really been a lack of goals. They've only, they've scored 74 goals this year. And with that kind of quality in the middle of the ice, you'd expect a lot better from their attack. They've got a difference of minus 11. And that's really talking to how poorly that their, their attack has their offense has played this year yeah a- absolutely but they've, they've always had problems on the blue line and they're still trying to upgrade their defensemen and when you get into the stage where you're that desperate to upgrade on defense that you will go out and get Adam Larson from the New Jersey Devils who was a second pairing defenseman and you would give up Taylor Hall who was already a gun winger but has since gone on to win the Hart Trophy for league MVP the equivalent of the Dallium medal for the rugby league fans listening in off the AFL fans the Brownlow medal he's won that since he went to New Jersey I should say what exactly does Edmonton have to do to fix up the defense or is it really just a problem of goaltending because Cam Talbot has been more cold than hot since he's moved from the New York Rangers I think it's probably a little bit more towards their goaltending themselves it's not a good sign that that they've been struggling so much the other thing you've got to consider then as well is the leadership that, that he does provide in defense but Let's let's not let's not worry so much about the defense per se. They've conceded 85 goals this year so far. That puts them level with Anaheim, and Anaheim are in the playoffs at the moment. The other thing you need to consider as well, Anaheim's played. Anaheim have got almost the exact same stats as Edmonton. The only difference is that Anaheim's played two extra games. Everyone going on about Edmonton struggling this year, I think it's probably a little premature to call it off that early. Not premature to call it off, though, at the moment, is the LA Kings. They're sitting stone motherless last out in the West. St. Louis are ahead of them on 22 points. The Kings are stranded on 21. They've played two extra games. Chicago's ahead. Vancouver's ahead. Arizona's ahead. Where does LA go from here? Do they start burning it to the ground and rebuilding or do, do they have something in them but they're just missing that extra piece no nah, it's it's time they burned it down 59 goals goals for shows real problems at the blue line and in, 20, in 28 games in 28 games you're talking you're talking just over two goals a game on average that talks to me two things. That talks to me weakness at the blue line. That also talks uh, a lack of fitness. And that really comes from the age of that team now. It is now time for LA to say, we are going to go do a Buffalo Sabres from two years ago, burn the place to the ground and start again. In that case, what happens with a guy like Anze Kopitar, who has signed on a big money deal, but he's still got a large whack of it. He's only going to finish that contract, I think, when he turns 39 or something like that. They've got guys like Dion Phaneuf. They've got guys like John. Jonathan Quick, who's almost, who I think is the wrong side of 30. Ilya Kovalchuk has signed on. This is the first year of a three-year, $20 million deal. How are they going to move guys like that? Well, this is this is going to be the challenge for them. They go and find a team that has got a good young bunch of players, but they're lacking an experienced head, similar to... 
you know, if I'm going to use my own Montreal Canadiens as a uh, as an example, when they brought in um, Shea Weber into the team, everyone's thinking, well, how is this going to work out for them? But to a certain extent, Shea Weber actually solidified their defense a bit more, which had been a little bit shaky for the Canadians. So maybe they go after a team, maybe someone like Edmonton. You know, they've got a lot of kids in that in that team at, at the moment. So do Buffalo. Maybe they do need a couple of older heads just to give them a bit of experience and a bit of calmness about themselves. You're being very optimistic talking up the Shea Weber trade, given you only had to give up P.K. Subban for him. And P.K. Subban's gone on in Nashville to make a Stanley Cup final. And you've got to think that Nashville's got to be close again. So do you really want to use the Shea Weber trade and the acquisition of him as your golden standard in this instance? I'm not I'm not using it as a golden standard per se. I'm using it just as an example of how experience can help to an extent to fill a particular need. Is it the best trade? No. I was a I'll, I'll admit I was a massive Subban fan, but I could see what they were trying to do with the trade. It's it's a question now of shipping around, shopping around to one of the one or two of the other teams that may be on the way up and go, hey guys, do you need an experienced head? Just so they can do a bit of a um, a salary cap dump. That's not a bad idea. You do speak of Montreal and we're talking trades. There's been one hypothetical that's going around, so I'll get your take on this because it's certainly going to be a controversial take. Montreal has perhaps the best goaltender on the planet in Carey Price keeping net. He's just started an eight-year, $84 million deal. He's already 30 years of age. So when that contract ends, he's going to be 38 years of age. Most goaltenders start turning into pumpkins somewhere around the 34, 35 years of age mark. So he's going to be halfway through an $80 million contract, a $10.5 million cap hit when he really starts to go downhill. Hearing rumors about Edmonton being interested, about Buffalo being interested, wanting an upgrade on, on Carter Hutton before line as Ulmar comes through, if he indeed does eventually come through. But the one I found intriguing was the Calgary Flames because they've got Mike Smith in net who is already, I think, 36 years of age. His save percentage is down. David Riddich, who's the backup, has been keeping as the main goaltender this season. I have no doubt that you and I are going to come down on different sides of this argument. So let's talk about it. Carey Price from the Montreal Canadiens to the Calgary Flames, yes or no? Calgary Flames, no. The reason being is is that why would you trade why would you trade in someone who's 34 35 36 and replace him with someone who's 30 all you're doing is kicking the can down the road about four years generally speaking with with any sort of goaltender similar to say a goalkeeper in football you're going to look to try and keep them long term i i think it, it would be a mistake for calgary to actually bring to bring him in I see more value of him, of Carey Price, maybe going to Edmonton. You know, you talk about experience to an, to an extent there. You could even talk about going to a team that's actually got a pretty good attack, but they're lacking a bit of shape in defense just to shore it up in the next couple of years. Dare I say, your Ottawa Senators, if they really wanted to have a crack at it, could um, take him on board, and that could really turn around your defensive woes. You, you think that my Ottawa Senators would take on Carey Price? You honestly think that you'd be taking Craig Anderson back? You think that'd be a trade that Pierre Dorian would make? I don't know whether it'd be something he would do, but this is the kind of the, the train of thought that I'm, I'm going at. You're looking at a team 
that's probably lacking a defenseman, but they've got sights set on winning on winning rings in the next two to three years. Well, I can guarantee you Ottawa's not doing that considering Eric Carlson got shipped out to San Jose. Mike Hoffman was shipped to San Jose before he immediately got flipped to Florida. Ottawa is definitely in the rebuild, but you're, you're saying no to Calgary, yes to Edmonton. So from a Montreal perspective, put, put your Mark Bergevin hat on if you can actually keep it on your head <laughs> given that it's so full of crap at the moment. If you're, if you're Mark Bergevin running the Montreal Canadiens, do you offload Carey Price to a willing buyer? This is going to be hard for me to say. I think at this stage, I think at this stage, I think the answer would almost be no, but I'd be looking two years down the road. See how so his you, form is. I'd delay the decision for two more years. All right. I think you've got to get in front of this right now because Carey Price is 30. He's in the first year of the deal. He's got a history of injury problems. He's got a long-term ugly contract that's going to sit on the Habs books for a long time. They're probably going to have to buy that out. I don't know whether they're going to go down the road of a client's buyout because it's just going to happen that quick. But you've got to find a buyer if you're Mark Bergevin. If you're serious about rebuilding the Montreal Canadiens from what they are now, and we've seen it because he's moved Subban, he's moved Pacioretty, he decided to move Galchenyuk, he brought in Shea Weber at the back for Subban, which isn't exactly a rebuilding move, but it brings that veteran presence in if you're going to have a really young blue line. I don't know why he moved Mikhail Sergachev down to Tampa, but at least he got Jonathan Drouin, a young forward back in return, even if the defenseman was even younger. He's going for grit, but he's looking for some scoring punch on the wings. You can certainly get that from the Calgary Flames, but I don't know exactly where you're going to find players that the Flames will give up, which are surefire guaranteed scoring prospects, because they're not letting go of a guy like Johnny Goudreau, and they're not letting Elias Lindholm go as soon as he gets there, and Sean Monaghan. I like the idea of Sam Bennett, maybe, but I think you've got a point there with the Edmonton Oilers, because I think it would be a very, very intriguing thing. We know that Montreal have been after centres for years. They've drafted Jesperi Kotkaniemi, and he's got off to a pretty good start, but one-for-one, and this is what would interest me if I'm Mark Bergevin, if I'm doing a one-for-one trade, just to get out from under Carey Price, yes or no, Carey Price for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I'd go for it. I'd take that in a heartbeat. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, I think that, that would be an outstanding deal, given that Nugent Hopkins is a centre, but he's playing on Connor McDavid's top line as a winger. And this is the problem that Edmonton have got. I, I think they've got one. They've got one or two too many centres players. I mean, you've got someone of the class of Connor, Connor McDavid in that lineup. You're not going to be able to get a shoe in. You're going to be forced to play out of position. I think it, that'd be a, it'd be a fantastic draw for them. It solves Montreal's um, issues in the centre, and I, I think they could actually come out with um, with some force. Edmonton, you know, all of a sudden they're going to be looking at a wild card position again, at least. I'm completely on board with that trade. I thought you'd say no, hands down, but I like the idea of shipping Carey Price to Edmonton in exchange for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Peter Chiarelli, Mark Bergevin, we've just done your job for you. Make this happen because we want to see Edmonton run down the Calgary Flames because David Gazard, a friend of mine who I hope is listening to the podcast, is a diehard Flames fan. Nothing would hurt him more than to see Edmonton come from nowhere and storm the Pacific Division all the way through to the conference final against whoever wins the Central. So let's make this happen. Let's put Carey Price in net for the Edmonton Oilers and see them fix up their defensive woes. And at the same time, let's we've got, we've got to do something about a couple of our friends who have dead set just jumped on the Washington Capitals bandwagon. I'm not dignifying that with any further comment. They, that There is more plastic in that supporter group than there is in your average hockey helmet. It is an absolute disgrace. I don't want to dignify that with any further 
the comment except to say that Tom Wilson got ran over by Ryan Reeves last night and it was an absolute thing of beauty to watch. We're recording this on the Thursday evening in between the home and home series of the Ottawa Senators and the Montreal Canadiens. So it's uh, a little, it's the day after or the evening of the match that happened in the morning afternoon between Washington and Vegas and it was absolutely just beautiful to see Tom Wilson get run over the top of. But oh. we're not going to dignify them with any further comment. But uh, did you actually see the hit on Tom Wilson? And did Ryan Reeves deserve to be ejected? Because I don't think he did. No, absolutely not. It was a good, clean, solid body check. We've been seeing the downgrading of the physicality within the NHL over the last couple of years. And it's been really disappointing to see. I mean, there's been more and more niggle, more and more chirp that's been going on. There's just not been the opportunity to be able to lay out some of the frustrations that can happen during the game. That just It's almost as if they're going down the NRL route. Before we get on to the really big topic, which is going to take up some time in the Hall of Fame inductees, there's two in particular I want to talk about. Seattle has been accepted in the last couple of days. We knew it was coming. They're going to be Team 32 in the National Hockey League. They're going to play out of the building that once once housed the Seattle Supersonics in the NBA before, I think they moved to Oklahoma a few years ago or something like that. The results so far of this move to put Seattle in as the 32nd team, they're obviously going to have to play in the Pacific Division given that they are situated right on the Pacific Ocean. Arizona goes to the Central Division. They've decided that the expansion draft for Seattle is going to be exactly the same format as it was for the Vegas Golden Knights. The Golden Knights will be exempt from the draft though because they're still considered an expansion team, so Vegas won't have to give up a player in that expansion draft. Having said that, they won't get a cut of the $650 million franchise fee that has been paid by Seattle to get into the National Hockey League. Out of this, you just got to feel sorry for the Coyotes, don't you? They're finally getting somewhere. They've stunk for years. They're finally getting somewhere in the Pacific Division and now they're going to get bumped into the central, which is basically being told, oh, yes, you finally made it in the Ron Massey Cup. Now we're going to stick you in state of origin. And they're going to be coming up against three against um, three teams that are going to be absolutely in form at the moment, In eventually in Nashville, Colorado and Winnipeg, who have been absolutely on fire this year. And then you've got to worry about dealing with Chicago once they start making their run back up. Like, yeah. you, Arizona are going to get their behinds handed to them on a silver platter. Well, at, at least they're still in the division of St. Louis at the moment, but I tipped St. Louis to finish third in the Central Division this season, so St. Louis coming back could make life even more miserable for them. You did say Arizona and Winnipeg. That's a nice little bit of symmetry and the segue to our last uh, discussion point in the first half with less than five minutes remaining. The Hall of the Hockey Hall of Fame inductees, Marty Brodeur, one of the greatest goaltenders, if not the greatest goaltender of all time, depending on your view, point of view. He was a, he was a slam dunk first ballot. Martin San Luis undrafted, went to the Tampa Bay Lightning won a cup, probably one of the shortest players to play in the modern day NHL. He was a slam dunk. Jaina Hefford, who I think has won four gold medals for Team Canada in the Women's Winter Olympics uh, has won, has done all sorts of things that will probably 
never happen again in the women's game of hockey. She was a slam dunk. Now, two interesting ones. These are the two interesting ones. One, not difficult to get an idea around, but the other one, yeah, I wasn't so sure about. The first one, Willie O'Ree submitted as a builder because he was the first African-American to play in the National Hockey League. There are some who have said he should have been included as a player, but he didn't really have that much of a great playing record. Those who said he was a builder because he broke down the racial barrier. Should Willie O'Ree first be in the Hall of Fame? And second, if he should be, should he be there as a builder or as a player? This is a really tough one. This is a really tough one to say. It took him a while to really get his um to get himself settled in within the NHL as a whole. For mine, he only ended up playing one year in the NHL, and that was for the Boston Bruins back in 1960-61. That one year he played with Boston, scored four goals, 10 assists, picked up 14 points, and PIM of 26. The stats to me speaks meh. I don't think To an extent, I actually agree that I think a build is probably appropriate. On those stats alone as a player, he wasn't good enough. You you can't possibly justify including him as a player, given the sort of records that other players have had. I'm all on board including him as a builder. It is a significant milestone to break down the racial barrier, particularly in the 60s, which was so racially charged. But the other one, oh God. Gary Bettman, current National Hockey League Commissioner. Now we hear a lot of people talking about how he's moved the game into into non-traditional markets such as Carolina and Arizona. But at the end of the day, he did include the Atlanta Thrashers. They were introduced on his watch. And after a while, the National Hockey League couldn't make a break in Atlanta. So all of a sudden, the NHL just decided to pack their bags and... That's it! Back to Winnipeg! The Thrashers did go to Winnipeg, so now we have Winnipeg back again. But at the end of the day, Gary Bettman in the Hockey Hall of Fame? Seriously? How is it that a current commissioner is allowed to just go into the Hall of Fame just like that? This this guy here is supposed to be an administrator of the game itself. I could understand if he was, you know, an ex-player who then went on to the uh, the NHL commission and then did some did effectively what he did. You go, okay, he, you know, he's, he's taken from the game, he's given back to the game, fair enough. Let's just consider for a second. He is a qualified lawyer. Before he became commissioner, he was working in the NBA in marketing and legal. What on earth are we thinking with this? And let's let's just let's not forget as well that he has had four player lockouts occur under his watch as NHL commissioner. And a full season lost. And a full full season lost as, at that as well. I mean, how can how can someone get away with allowing a situation like that? It's an absolute disgrace. I think it's an absolute farce. Whoever made that decision should hang their heads in shame because Gary Bettman. Yeah, you can talk about the revenue increases, but every sport has seen revenue increases, and not just in North America. It's an absolute shambles of a decision. It's an absolute farce. It's an absolute disgrace. Anybody who thinks that Gary Bettman genuinely deserves to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame needs their Now, having said that, we're going to mourn the loss of one of the great traditions, thanks to Gary Bettman's watch as National Hockey League Commissioner. We're going to talk about the Atlantic and Metro Divisions in the East. We're going to talk about the biggest surprises and disappointments of the season, a new Maple Leafs contract and what that does to the league overall, and more trade possibilities coming out of the teams that are really struggling and who's going to be buyers. But to mourn Gary Bettman's admission to the Hall of Fame, we're going to pick up the musical tones that he has destroyed from the game and removed from the game. We're going to listen to the greatest team song 
in National Hockey League history, that of the Hartford Whalers and Brass Bonanza, and we've got the Atlantic Metro and a whole lot more coming up next on Splinters. Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM every Tuesday at 8pm, streaming live on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au. Also download us at podcasts.com. Just head over to podcasts.com, sign up as a subscriber, type in Splinters, the bench podcast in their search engine. You'll find us, you click subscribe and that's it. You'll get your dose of Splinters as soon as it is released, although you probably need a little bit of antiseptic to wipe around the wound to make sure you don't get infected and end up behaving like one Matthew Mears, the wise one. Not that I'm bitter and twisted or anything. Well, you, My keep name relega- is- you, keep, you keep relegating him, so what do you expect him to do? I am joined by the godfather of the bench, the raging bull, Anthony Caruso. My name is Keith Topolsky, the Lord Mayor of Leichhardt, apparently, although I don't know why. We're talking National Hockey League now. Bull, this, this is something that you and I can agree on, because you being Montreal, me being Ottawa, there's a lot of angst, there's a lot of rivalry and hatred there. Ever since Quebec City relocated to Denver, Colorado, another result of Gary Bettman destroying the game in Canada. Thank you very much. It's really been the francophone derby, really, because there's no Quebec City, Ottawa and Montreal. But this is something we can agree on that's been absolutely wonderful to see. This season's Metro Division, which is the other division in the Eastern Conference, for those that don't follow the game too closely, you've got the Atlantic Division and the Metro Division. For years, the Metropolitan Division has been just a raging success. And this year, it's been a dead set tire fire. It is an absolute Greek tragedy. You've got the Pittsburgh Penguins. They're out of the playoff running at the moment. Carolina Hurricanes, New York Rangers, both wildcard spots are being filled by Atlantic teams. You've got the New York Islanders who are expected to be an absolute punchline this season, running third in the division. Just to give you an idea, the top team in the the Metro in Washington is 33 points. That would be be good. Yeah, that, that's right. That would be good for a wild card spot if they were in the Atlantic. Tampa, Toronto, Buffalo, all ahead of the best in the Metro. Isn't it great to see, but are we seeing the cycle of the NHL come to bear a little bit before we expected it? Um, no, I'm, I think it's it's just as finally returning to the Atlantic Division is what I'm, I think it is at the moment. For far too long, everyone has been making a brouhaha about how good the two New York teams, how good Pittsburgh has been for years. Everyone went was up in arms about how good Washington was, and yet they, they threw all their eggs in one basket, the Capitals. And yes, they're leading the Metropolitan Division at the moment, but my God, their hockey has actually been terrible considering where they are. I can't disagree with that. I can't say that I'm a fan of what they've been doing so far this season. But It's the equivalent, will... it's the equivalent of of St. George Illawarra throwing all their eggs in one basket to win that one premiership that's been eluding them for God knows how long under Wayne Bennett. I will defend the Washington Capitals here because they are suffering from a Stanley Cup hangover. Now, most 
teams, when they suffer from a Stanley Cup hangover, they go into the next season, they're a little bit rusty because they didn't get a full preseason in and they're not really at full uh, physical condition and they just take a little while to settle back in. In the case of Washington, though, given how much beer Alex Ovechkin pumped into his system, I think they're suffering from a literal hangover rather than the cup hangover. Let's consider it this way then as well. Where are they, um, where are they really struggled this year, comparatively speaking? Washington, correct me if I'm wrong, Washington made the playoff and went all the way back off, off the back of their amazing attack. They did. Credit here goes to one of the great hockey writers based in Ottawa, Sean McIndoo of Down Goes Brown fame. His tweet, when Washington went 2 nothing down against Columbus, went into overtime in Game 3 in Round 1, and he said, if Washington scores the next goal, they win the Cup. If they concede it, they get swept and the roster gets detonated, no pressure. So he saw that coming, that Washington would have that momentum run. But really, it's not just Washington we're talking about here. Pittsburgh have absolutely lost it. Philadelphia and Jersey were supposed to be contending for playoff berths. They're out of the running. Their, their season's done. They're, they're eight and seven points back. Pittsburgh are only four back with two games in hand against Montreal for a wild card spot. But really, at the end of the day, I'm not seeing it from Pittsburgh. Yes, they've got the talent, but I don't see how they really put it together. And in terms of teams that have been really pleasantly surprising, I think you've got to say the two biggest surprises of the season so far have probably come from the Atlantic division and they're our teams because everybody expected Ottawa to go through losing a record number of games and Montreal wouldn't be that far ahead. Montreal's in a wild card and my Senators aren't that far back. No, they're not and uh, people don't realise how close that wild card um, competition is at the moment even despite the fact that you've got a whole bunch of teams from the Metropolitan Division that are just trying are trying to battle their way through here. Look, let's go to the, let's deal with Pittsburgh first. They were the big losers from the introduction of one particular team in the Vegas Golden Knights. Mm. Uh, those trades that occurred from that decimated the um, the centre of defence for Pittsburgh, and it's something they really haven't recovered from, especially with one of their big talismans leaving in Marc Andre Fleury. Well, Fleury was the goaltender that was picked up in the expansion draft by the Vegas Golden Knights. You're quite right, but they then did have to trade away a bit, a fair bit of blue line experience just to make the cap, and then they've decided to go and trade a whole lot of other players. And their big signing, Jack Johnson from the Columbus Blue Jackets, he's absolutely tanked so far this season. He hasn't provided quality backup to, to Chris. Latang whatsoever on D and that's where the Penguins really are struggling and not allowing a guy like Sid Crosby who was the Connor McDavid of 13 years ago, 10 to 13 years ago I should say, to really take the lead. So is is it time now for Pittsburgh to blow it up or do you think that they've got the ability to go and make a few moves around the periphery and maybe get another couple of playoff runs out of this core? If they, if they hold on to Sidney Crosby, I think they can still build a team around him as it were but they would need to make a couple of very smart trades to um to rebuild that team if they can't do that if they think it's beyond them then absolutely blow it up but they need to make a decision now they need to make a decision pretty quick about which way they're going to go and what they're doing at the moment is they're actually doing nothing and that's what's hurting them years and years ago the penguins were awful they were almost shooting the puck in their own net scoring on themselves so they could draft lemieux they basically did the same thing and then got lucky with the ping pong draw during the lockout to be able to draft Sidney crosby if they run run 
outside the playoffs and end up finishing first in the draft lottery. Can you imagine how evil it's going to be if they end up getting to draft Jack Hughes? This is like Edmonton, absolutely. This is worse than Edmonton. Fluking, four, was it? Edmonton fluked, what, four first draft picks in a row? Uh, I think it was three in a row and four in six years or something like that. That's like like finding the 13th floor of a uh, hotel. It doesn't happen. It shouldn't happen. Now, we've spoken about the biggest surprises this season and the biggest disappointments, so let's go through the surprises. Aside from your Canadians, my Senators, and as I say, we're in the middle of a home-and-home. We're not going to discuss the result of the first game. But the biggest surprises this season outside Montreal and Ottawa, you've got to start with the New York Islanders, don't you? They lost John Tavares in the offseason, free agency to Toronto, and everybody thought that was going to be the end of it. But Lou Lamorello has signed on. He's brought in some new talent. He's brought in a bit of depth. And the Islanders, they're in a playoff spot at the moment. They are in a playoff spot, and there's a, and there's one reason why they're in a playoff spot at the moment, is they've got one of the best defences in the competition competition at the moment. Mm. They've only conceded they've only conceded 75 um goals from their 26 matches. Um and the te- the only t- the, let's consider the teams that are currently ahead of them in terms of their defensive uh, performances. Toronto um only conceding 73, Boston only conceding 69 goals. But here's a surprise for you. You want to know who's got the best defense at the moment? Go on. Arizona. That can't be right. They've only conceded 67 goals so far. Which tells you a lot about their offense at the moment and how much Arizona would love to get their hands on probably the most famous born and developed Arizonan to play in the NHL who's currently playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs when free agency comes around next season, uh, next summer in the northern summer, next winter for us. And he's got to sign on a new deal that's going to be worth something like 12 or $13 million. The Islanders that they've brought in Robin Lenner, they've got some goaltending, they've got the blue line fit at the moment and that's probably the biggest thing to help. Well, Thomas Grease has been an absolutely superb form for them. A GAA at the moment of only 2.4 and a save percentage of 9.25. He's doing quite well this year. It's not the best SV percentage that you've seen. This year so far, the best SV uh, percentage has been Pekka Ryan from Nashville. You know, Thomas Grease is doing an outstanding job for the Islanders. We're talking about teams that have improved out of sight. For those of you who used to listen to to us in our in our pre-Triple H incarnation, you'd know one of the running jokes we had was that when someone really did stink it up, we'd say that at least they weren't as bad as the Buffalo Sabres. Only problem is this season, the Buffalo Sabres at one point won 10 games in a row. They're sitting on 38 points, better than the top three teams in the Metro Division. It's good for third in the Atlantic. They're only trailing Nashville in the Central Division ahead of Colorado and Winnipeg and they're beating out every Pacific team. Rasmus Darlene has really turned this team around with help from Jack Eichel. Well, Jack Eichel has been absolutely outstanding. This is an interesting one for you. And I'm going to use a football analogy here. Do you remember a few years ago when Sydney FC had a little Brazilian who came over named Juninho Polista? And everyone yes. gave him absolute crap because mm-hmm. he didn't score a single goal. And I, then, I, think that, I think the football terminology is couldn't hit the broad side of a barn from point blank. Is that roughly the, the yes. term that they use? Yep. And yet, what Craig Foster pointed out quite correctly that the media just completely ignored is that Juninho recorded 24 goal assists in the mm-hmm. season, three times more than the next best. That's what Jack Eichel's doing here at the moment. He's only scored seven goals, but he's 
scored, he's earned 27 assists so far this year. That's outstanding. That's, exactly right. That's just shy of one per, one assist per game. Seven goals in 28 games. He's on he's on track for 20 goals, but he's on track for 80 assists. So he, he could easily be a 100-point player, only positing 20 goals. This is this is something that a lot of people in the media just, just continue to ignore. They, they go for the glory. They go for the glory seekers. The goal score is it. But Jesus Christ, if, if you've got someone who can set up players at will, mm. uh, they're worth their weight in gold. Speaking of teams that have come from nowhere and teams that were completely misread by people on the outside looking in, since they traded Matt Duchesne to my Senators and picked up the first round draft pick this year. I'll have a little cry in a moment. The Colorado Avalanche, we mentioned them earlier. They're sitting second in the Central. Sam Girard came in from Nashville as part of that three-way deal between Ottawa, Nashville, and Colorado. Since Matt Duchesne's moved on, Nathan McKinnon, he is, he is just destroying anything in his path. Absolutely. And it's what a uh, what a well-balanced team this Columbus um, lineup is now. Colorado. Has, has become, sorry, I should be saying Colorado. Yeah. Uh, what a great, um, what a well-balanced lineup that they have really have become and you know our good mate Shane Evans he is he is absolutely cock a hoop with this uh, at the moment their goal scoring has been absolutely outstanding I think I'm just looking to at the moment I think they've actually got the second but yeah they do they've got the best second best attack in the competition at the moment only behind Tampa Bay who have mm. scored 100 and 114 goals from Tampa Bay I should point out let's not just throw everything at their attack their defense has actually been uh, superb as well and Sam and Valarimov has been um, superb for them in goals as well you can't help but take your hat off, though, to the combination of Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon on that top line. It is just absolutely shambolic what they are able to do to opposition sides. And they've got some really good depth as well, because one of the players that has really stood up in that depth role and being able to do things off the puck and do things that don't necessarily get noted, Sven Andrighetto, he was a throwaway trade by your Montreal Canadiens, and he's really one of the best depth acquisitions the Colorado Avalanche have come up with in some years. I think I was watching one game in particular when Colorado was playing Montreal. I think it would have been earlier on in the year. The, the, the combinations being worked between uh, Rantanen and McKinnon was scary. It was almost as if they just they just went to the rest of the team, now, nah, boys, we've got this. And the pass in between the two, I think they scored, they may have scored two, three goals each in that game and each other were their own assists. If Ranton is not feeding McKinnon, then McKinnon's feeding Rantanen. And when you've got two guys who are combining that well together, and you just sit back and just let the two play. Teams that would love that sort of help. We've been through St. Louis. We've been through Pittsburgh as the great disappointments. Who else would you say has been the great disappointment? You can have one or two, but not all three of them. So, And they all come from the Eastern Conference, one from the Atlantic, two from the Metro. Who's been your greatest disappointment or your two greatest disappointments? Because you can't have a lot of them out of Florida, Philadelphia, in New Jersey. I thought New Jersey and Philadelphia were going to um, to struggle this year. Florida have, have never really kicked into gear. I'm almost going to say none of them and I'm going to say Pittsburgh for their complete and utter inaction and their lack of direction. Yeah, but we've already done Pittsburgh. Are you really going to yeah. pile? Well, no, hang on. They've got, they have got they lucked into Sidney Crosby at the draft and then they had, uh, I think it was Malkin the year before drafted second overall and yeah, okay, let's pile on Pittsburgh. Let's pile the misery on them. They, yeah, exactly. They, 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 they deserve a bit. Of, they deserve a bit of a hammering at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll, look, I'll let you have that one. Yeah. Look, New Jersey have been either hot or cold the last couple of years, and they're going through one of their cold phases. Philadelphia they did make the playoffs last year, but that was really on the back of Taylor Hall. That that was, and they um, I think they went on some ridiculous run towards the end of last year just to make the playoffs. Yeah. On top of that. 
Philadelphia, well, they're in a funk at the moment, and we all knew that they were, they were in a funk. So that's not really surprising. They're struggling there. And, and Florida, this is a this is a franchise that, you know, once again, you're talking about a franchise in a market where you'd think you'd be doing a lot better considering the money, the monetary backing you'd be expecting from them. For mine, Florida just has never clicked into gear properly. I would go along with that. Tampa Bay Lightning have been a raging success down there uh, in central Florida, but the Panthers down in Sunrise, formerly of Miami, you're right. They've never really clicked or really done anything since that amazing cup run in 96 where they fell short. I, I, I can't disagree with you. Florida Panthers to Quebec City to become the new Quebec Nordiques. You'd love that, wouldn't you? Get get the yeah. old Quebec rivalry back. Absolutely. But for mine, it's Pittsburgh. And it's not because necessarily that they're playing well or playing badly, but it's they lack direction as a mm. unit and as a and as a sports team. We'll, we'll flip the order because we're going to talk about a Maple Leafs contract next, but let, let's, de- let's delay that until the very last because we've still got a bit over seven minutes remaining in episode four of Splinters the Bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on triplehfm.com.au and also at podcasts.com. Let's assume for a moment that Pittsburgh, they continue to stink. LA continue, well, LA's gone for the season. Their season's done. Let's assume Chicago continues to struggle. Let's assume that Detroit are going to be sellers at the deadline because we probably won't get time for another NHL update before the trade deadline. So let's start with Pittsburgh. Let's assume they're sellers. What the Pittsburgh move out? Where do Pittsburgh go to start again or really just start to free up some cap space? This is going to be this is going to be incredibly difficult. If they want to free up some serious cap space and really say they're going to start again, they'd let go Sidney Crosby. But that, that, again, that, 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 that won't happen. If you, if you let go of Malkin, if you let go of someone like Kessel, if you let go of Latang even, you can justify it as saying you just need the cap space. But if you if you move Sidney Crosby on, that's when you put a bomb under the place and you say we're going to run last for the next few yeah. seasons because if you're moving Crosby it really is all over it this, this, is, this is. is the equivalent of letting Thurston go from the Cowboys in order to just start over with a bunch of kids that that is the end of the road if you do they go, do, the question is do they go the quick fix or do they go the long term fix the quick fix is let go Sidney Crosby bomb the place out and completely start again from next year onwards if they want to go long term they keep Sidney Crosby they let go someone like a Kessel or a uh, or even a Malkin and they try and rebuild the team around Sidney Crosby. I would be on board with that, given that Sidney Crosby turns 31, in fact 32, I should say, next year. Uh, I, I don't see where uh, Pittsburgh are going to get too many more runs and they should probably bite the bullet. Chicago Blackhawks, Jonathan Taves has got to go, doesn't he? But at the end of the day, th- how do they move a $10.5 million cap hit on someone who's the wrong side of 30? They've backed themselves into a corner with this with yeah. this lineup now. They, they, they've really backed themselves back quite badly. So how do, how do you lift how do you lift them off here with this I, I think he is about to become a noose over Chicago and I could see them really struggling trying to get rid of him if they can somehow manage to do it then maybe they can start rebuilding this team but he is going to turn into an absolute albatross around this team you've got the LA Kings who are running dead last overall Dustin Brown Jeff Carter Carl Hagelin Anze Kopitar Ilya Kovalchuk Tyler well not necessarily Tyler Toffoli from an age perspective but then you move to the blue line, Alec Martinez, Jake Muzzin, Dion Phaneuf, Drew Doughty, Jonathan Quick in goal. There's no shortage of options to get rid of players off this LA Kings roster, except for the problem that 
they're they're all carrying a fairly hefty cap here. They, they are carrying a fairly hefty cap, and and on top of that, some of those guys are actually in. I think are out injured. Kovalchuk and um, Hagelin are currently out yep. injured. So is mm-hmm. uh, Brodzinski and Lewis. So trying to trying to get rid of players who are you know carrying a lot of cap, but they're injured. No one's got. Everyone's going to look at them. And just go. Yeah, no, we're not interested. Thank you very much. Um, unless you're another tanking team that would like to take those contracts on, but you don't really have anybody that's in the middle of that tanking situation at the moment where they're looking to try and fill out the rest of that cap because the only real option you could find there is Vancouver, but they look like they're going to be ready to move back into playoff contention next season with Elias Pedersen and Brock Besser really lining it up. Just very quickly before we get to the last point, uh, in terms of teams that could be buyers, do you think Buffalo Sabres might have any interest in any of those players? It's a tough call to make with Buffalo. They're doing pretty well with their squad. They may take maybe one or two, either for experience or just to pad their light their um their lines out a little bit further. But if I was going to do that, I'd be maybe looking at a uh, a second or a third uh, a second or a third line player maybe from Pittsburgh or Chicago rather than the LA Kings because the LA Kings are going to be that desperate to rebuild that they're going to be taking whatever they can get as cheap from their third their second third or fourth line and rebuilding around them potentially. So re- really, you wouldn't think it'd be much value for Buffalo because it'd just be trading like for like rather than Buffalo getting those elite players on the upgrade. Correct. Let's finish off. We can talk about the Islanders and Colorado buying and Detroit selling as well. But in the two minutes we've got left, finally, finally, the William Nylander situation came to a head. William Nylander, a promising winger for the Toronto Maple Leafs, playing on their second line, held out for as long as he could to get a decent contract with the Leafs. The Leafs didn't want to pay. They ended up agreeing on a six-year deal at $6.9 million per year cap hit plus change about 20 minutes before the deadline, which would have seen him sit out the season. Is that an overpay? And what do they do with Patrick Marlowe now? That is an overpay. They're, they're, they're absolutely stuck with this now. Because Patrick no, that... Marlowe, he signed on for three years at 6.25. He's 38 years old. He's still got another year left on the contract after this one. And this is when Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews are going to be up for renewals. So they're about, unless they can find a way to move Patrick Marlowe, they're about to enter the seventh circle of salary cap hell, surely. Yeah, and who, how, who's actually going to buy it? That's a problem. Yeah, you know, is this maybe yeah. is this maybe someone from for Buffalo themselves? I'm thinking that you might find that my senators might be interested in Marlowe if Toronto's prepared to swallow a little bit of salary. Yeah, you know, how much salary are they going to be willing to swallow? Yeah, you know, well, we're, ta- we're starting to get yeah. we're starting to talking to we're starting to talking to those numbers to say, well, how much do we need to allow to to avoid any salary cap issues, and then how much are they willing to actually take on board themselves? And you're going to have to pick a number in between the middle of them. Yeah, you're probably looking at. Toronto packaging up some promising prospects or a very nice pick to send with Patrick Marlowe to the Ottawa Senators for dead change at the end of it just to be able to get him off the books. I think you're quite right there. But that's all the time we've got for episode four of Splinters, the Bench Podcast. It's been great to wrap up the National Hockey League with you, Anthony Caruso. Thanks for joining me. And it's going to be a massive podcast next week. Oh, we're absolutely looking looking forward to it. Should be an absolute cracker. Yes, we're going to be doing a wrap of the Kingsgrove T20 competition being played at the SCG on the 16th of December, the finals. We're going to have a podcast wrap up 
of all the action from there. It's going to be a fantastic show. Looking forward to, to your company then. My name's Keith Topolsky. Thanks for joining us on Splinters the Bench podcast on Triple HFM 100.1, triplehfm.com.au, or podcasts.com. We look forward to your company next week as we wrap up the Kingsgrove Cricket T20 competition. Thank you.